Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. Let's dive into Joshua. So three weeks now, three weeks, been here for three weeks, feels like six weeks. Um, but it, it's been a loaded three weeks, but we are in, in week three of our series, Joshua. And the, the title of this sermon, um, I called it Promises from Unexpected Places. Promises from Unexpected Places. And I want to talk about promises a little bit. Because promises are very important to us as a people. Promises are very important to us as a people. And for a promise to be effective, it needs to have two things. Evidence of good faith and some type of confirmation. Evidence of good faith and some type of confirmation. You know, when we moved up here, we bought a house. It was our first house we've ever been able to purchase. It was, it was quite the experience walking through buying a house. If you've done that, you know what I'm talking about. And, and you know, everyone wanted to know all my business, right? I had to send all of this information of who I was, uh, how much money I made. You know, I was like, nunya, but still had to do that. You know, they needed the good evidence. The lenders needed good evidence to say, that, hey, if we give you this money, we need to know that you can somehow pay it back. Joke's on them, but they, at least on paper, it looks like I can pay it off, right? And so they needed good evidence in order to, to make the promise of the money in order to buy the house. And, and if anybody has done online shopping, which if you're in Pullman, probably everybody has done online shopping, right? You, when, you get a, when you order something, you, you, know, you put it through the cart, you make the purchase, and then you get a confirmation, right? A lot of us would be very uneasy if we didn't get that nice confirmation, the success, your order has been purchased, promise, knowing that, hey, those people I'm purchasing from will actually send, they promise to send those goods to you. So for a promise to really be good, it needs to have some kind of good evidence of faith, like a lender, or it needs some kind of confirmation, like an online purchase. In Israel, at this time, as we talk about Joshua, they've seen some of the great promises of God, both evidenced and confirmed by this time, their, their type in the story, or this time in the story. You know, God had promised Abraham he would have many descendants. In fact, an entire nation is now descended from Abraham. We see a relationship with God, a, a special possession like we saw at Mount Sinai. They are now the people of God. They are in special relationship with him. No other nation has this type of relationship with God as Israel does, evidenced by things like the exodus out of Egypt, the provision for 40 years in the wilderness. These things were evidenced of good faith and confirmed to the people of Israel. And the third promise was land that they would inherit from the Lord. And as we looked at last week, God is putting his name in the land of Israel. That he is marking out this area for his name to dwell. Things that will progress in the story as we'll see more and more as you read the Old Testament. But one of the greatest confirmations we see, the first major confidence builder for Israel and confirmation in place of good evidence starts in a very unexpected place in Israel. Not exactly what you probably would have thought it would be or where it would come from, but it comes in the form of Rahab, and that's who we're going to talk about today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn or tap with me to Joshua chapter 2. We're going to read the first seven verses together, so you can just follow along there. 
But let's read about Rahab. Joshua, the son of Nun, secretly sent two men as spies from the Acacia Grove. Go and scout the land, especially Jericho. So they left and they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelite men have come here tonight to investigate the land. Then the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab and said, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, for they came to investigate the entire land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. So she said, yes, the men did come to, a, come to me, but I didn't know where they were from. At nightfall, when the, city gate, when the city gate was about to close, the men went out, and I don't know where they were going. Chase after them quickly, and you can catch up to them. But she had really taken them up to the roof and hidden them on, among the stalks of flax that she had arranged on the roof. The men pursued along the road to the fords of the Jordan, and as soon as they left to pursue them, the city gate was shut. Rahab has entered the scene. And what we see with Rahab in this first real story of, this is the story of Joshua and the conquest, is we see a new light from the lady of the night. It's like that? That's pretty good, huh? A new light from the lady of the night. And, and it, you know, it's kind of jarring when you first read this story that, you know, the first thing that's mentioned at the place that the spies go is to the house of Rahab. You know, you're like, where, why is it the first house the spies go to is the prostitute's house, right? What's going on now? And that's supposed to be a little bit jarring to the reader. You're supposed to say, wow, what? this is kind of a shock. Why didn't they go spy out the land? Why didn't they do their actual job? Why did they go to the house of Rahab? And this is supposed to give us kind of an emphatic, hey, there's something really special about to happen. God is going to you do something unexpected in this moment because we're a little jarred by what is about to occur. Think about who Rahab was. Think about the, the context of where she is living. So she is a, a Canaanite woman. She's not an Israelite born under the promise of God. She didn't wander the wilderness for 40 years. Does anybody think it's kind of strange that God would, would work through somebody who wasn't Israel? Kind of surprising. Not only that, but she's a single woman. You know, to, if you were looking at the hierarchical structure of the Canaanite society or Israelite society or Egyptian society, a single woman is about the lowest you can go. Right out down there with, with slave. I mean, so you're talking about somebody who has zero power, zero influence. And then you think about the profession, right? The profession that she was conducting. You know, we don't know if that was something that she was forced into by either circumstance, maybe her husband had died and this was the only way that she could provide for her family, which happened a lot during this time in history. Or perhaps it was just something that she was forced into through pressure or, or chose to even to provide for her family. What is being highlighted here is that the Lord is setting the stage to make a, a large statement of promise that a lot of times he gives promises in unexpected ways and through unexpected people. That he delivers his promises in unexpected ways through unexpected people. This is who the Lord God is going to highlight the confirmation and evidences of his promises to or those whose society would have never expected that to happen. We think about this as we introduce Rahab and 
You know, we think about Rahab having a past. You know, Rahab had a past. On paper, she would have been the last person you would have thought the Lord would use to make a confirmation or evidence of good faith to how God was going to fulfill his promises to Abraham and to Israel. Hey, I'm actually, think about this logically. God says, hey, I'm actually going to use a non-Israelite woman who is in a very shameful occupation, according to your tradition, and she's going to be the one that shows you how good and faithful I am. Now move that into your context. How many of us sit here and go, I'm not sure if God can really work through me because of my past. I'm not really sure if God can conduct and show his good faith and evidences of of who he is because of the things I've done in my past or because of who people have said I am. And then you remember Rahab. The central theme, again, like I talked about last week, is identity within Joshua. It's not conquest and genocide and bloodthirsty murder like Richard Dawkins wrote that we read last week. It's about Israel's identity and a forging of who they are and what God's faith and confirmation of promises are achieving. And there's the question I want you to just kind of think about as we walk through this. Do you believe the Lord can work through your story or through your past? Do you really believe that that's possible? Because he is still reaching out to the Rahabs of the world. He is still counting eligible, the ineligible of our world. He is still carrying the light of God's blessing to the world through those who think themselves disqualified because of the things they've done or because of the pasts that they've witnessed or seen or been a part of. Because what we're going to see and what we really see through the story of Israel through the Old Testament is it's less Israel about what they're doing and who they're being. Okay? There's a difference between what you do and how you live out being, right? Being is, is much more you're, you're living out of an identity of who you are rather than doing, which is just doing things to try to kind of make up for the fact that you're not being it, right? So in our context, a lot of times religion becomes the do, all right? I did all the right things. I went to church on Sunday. I gave 10%. I, I, I was nice to my neighbor once in a while, right? Right? This is, this is more doing rather than the perspective of saying, hey, I follow Jesus and I want to live as the Lord lives and I want to be identified with him and so I'm going to be the things that he has called me to be to my neighbor, to the, my coworkers. I'm going to resist the things that he does not want me to be and I'm going to embrace the things he does. It becomes more about identity than it does about working through a checklist of items making sure that you're doing the right things. Rahab's actions and what she does later in the story, which we'll talk about, pointed more to her belonging to the Lord God than to anything else. What her actions are, especially with the king of Jericho, which we'll look at in just a moment, point to who she is becoming rather than the things that she does. Because Rahab is actually pursuing her real king. The Rahab story is highlighted and she is marked as a heroine because of the fact that she showed loyalty to her real king. 
And this is what the author of Joshua really wants us to recognize, that there is tension and contrast between her loyalty to the Lord God of Israel and to that of the king of Jericho, which is why we see this kind of conversation going on with the king. Because the king of Jericho obviously wants to expose these spies, doesn't he? Give them up so we can get rid of them, so we can save our city. Right? They're going to destroy us all, is kind of the king of Jericho's perspective here. Not, not a, it's kind of a routine, kingly thing to do if you were the king of Jericho. So we are supposed to think, what will Rahab declare? Who will she declare her faith for? Who will she declare her loyalty to? Remember last week I spoke about how the idea of, of a biblical faith has more than just an intellectual understanding of, of who God is, but the actual commitment of saying, I am loyal to this God. Over all other things, this is why idolatry is such an issue. When we put things above our God, because we serve loyalty to things that are not of him. And so the author is trying to really push, hey, you have somebody who is, is in an unexpected place having to choose whether they believe and follow the Lord God or their own king of Jericho. In fact, her deception here, a lot of times you get a lot of discussion around, hey, she lied. She lied to him. See, the Bible enforces lying, right? You can see me. Definitely as a kid, I'd go, wait a minute. Rahab lied. She's a sinner. Okay? You, you, you can see how this goes. But what Rahab is really doing here is she is declaring Yahweh or the Lord God as her king. It's, it's more about highlighting of faith rather than some kind of a sin that she committed. It revealed to her that, or revealed to the author and to Israel that she aligned to the mission and purpose of the ruler of Israel. Okay? Remember last week, the, the mark of what Israel is, to be Israel, it means that you align to the mission and purpose of the Lord God. That's what it means to be Israel. It's not a, a, something you're born into. It's not a, a, a race of people. It's something that aligned to the mission and purpose of God. So how did she come to this faith? How did she become Israel? She heard about God's great power. Look at Joshua 2, 10 through 11. Let me read it for you. She is, she is, this is Rahab speaking. For we have heard how the Lord God dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings you completely destroyed across the Jordan. When we heard this, we lost heart and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and earth below. This is a, a statement of faith Rahab has of the Lord God. It's not something that she's like, oh man, like this is, this is, this is kind of a scary thing. It, it is to a degree, like please don't wipe out my city. But it's more a, a demonstration, God's demonstration through Israel of his great power. This is what our God, this is what our Lord God does. This is his power displayed to a a Bronze Age people that go, this is something we need to take serious. Because if you remember back in Exodus, when Pharaoh is talking to Moses, Pharaoh goes, who is this Lord God? Who is this? I've never heard of him. Well, he gets a pretty good education, doesn't he? On who this Lord God is. Right, so the Lord is working through Israel, demonstrating his power And it's actually leading to Canaanites coming to faith in him. Isn't that something? It was the Lord's power and action that she had heard and seen displayed that brought her to faith. Beyond even her own king of Jericho. 
who in that moment, the king of Jericho could have found those spies and, and legally could have killed the entire family, wiped them out, said, you're not loyal to us. But in that moment, she decided, I am giving my loyalty to the Lord God. I am hiding the spies. I am giving my faith over to him. The spies are actually kind of the, the, the dumb and dumber of the group. They don't really do anything. Or they're kind of, in Hebrew, when you read this text, there's a bit of an entendre around how kind of incompetent they are. The focus is on Rahab and her faith and loyalty to the, to the Lord God. She recognized it was the only way to save her family. And that family is, is really important because what you're going to see here is that the association that the family had to Rahab is what saves the family. In contrast, we're going to see that with Achan in a few weeks. I think I gave uh, Corbin the fun one of talking about punishment again, poor guy. But Achan, you see the opposite, right? Achan, he comes and it's his family and himself that are cast out of Israel. And so we have a contrast of here what it means to be Israel, what it means not to be Israel with Achan. She recognized it was the only way to save her family. So Rahab's faith in the Lord God actually made her a child of Abraham. It brought her into the promised people. She wasn't born into it. She didn't earn it. She didn't deserve it. It was her own faith in the Lord God that brought her in as a child of Abraham. And I think a lot of times, especially if you grew up in the church or you, know, you read the Bible, especially in just the New Testament, you kind of think the including of Gentiles or non-Jews is kind of a New Testament thing. Like, oh, great, Pentecost happened. We're all part of it now. Holy Spirit, yay, you know. But really, this is something that goes all the way back to before Rahab. Paul says this in Galatians 3, 7. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. That the inclusion of the promises of Abraham that were given in Genesis are including not to a, a line of people born under a line just of Abraham, they're also obviously included in that, but it's also those who put their faith in Abraham. And so Paul is also seeing Rahab's out into the world as he's going on his missionary journeys, as he's going to a place like Galatia and Corinthians and all these places, he's seeing these Greeks and he's going, these are like Rahab. Their Lord God, their loyalty, their faith in him is what's including them into the promises of Abraham. That the Lord is building on a promise that through Israel, they would be a blessing to all the nations. Remember, that's a, a key component of the, of the Abrahamic promise, is that through his line, through that faith and loyal line to, to the Lord God, they would be a blessing to all the nations. The promise is being incorporated into the Lord's family. This is important. This is a, this is a really important thing to remember as, as we follow Christ, is that we are incorporated into the family of God, right? The New Testament calls us sons and daughters of God, right? That we are children of the living God, right? That we are incorporated into the Lord's family. And how is this evidenced, right? What is the evidence of these types of things? Well, we live out of that reality. We live out of the faith that we now declare, did you know, you know, we'll talk a little bit about this next week, but I'll set the stage. Baptism is actually a public declaration of whose loyalty you belong to. Not to, a, a, not to real life church. I think people think baptism a lot of times is just this kind of membership thing. It's really a spiritual aspect of declaring to the world, I am in Christ. 
I am in the Lord's family. I belong to the Lord God. In fact, many times in the, in the first century, when you were first being baptized, it was a marking out of your loyalty. That was kind of a death sentence. If someone saw you getting baptized, they go, well, that person's not loyal to Caesar. They're loyal to another king. Just like Rahab is sitting here going, I'm not loyal to the king of Jericho. I'm loyal to the Lord God of Israel. James is wrestling with this question as well, the Lord's brother. And he says in James 2, 25 to 26, Rahab is actually highlighted. He says, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. You know, we're kind of post-reformed going, what does that mean? Right? What is is justified by works? What what James is talking about is if your faith is an actionable evidence of who you are and what you believe, it's like the spirit of a body. It's it's gone. It's a shell. It doesn't work. It's not it's not alive. And Rahab is raised up in James' mind as somebody who said, I am going to actively show my evidence and good faith in the Lord God by placing my faith in him, my trust in him, my loyalty to him. So in our Christianese world today, we get kind of caught up in this faith first works kind of idea. It's a good conversation to have. I, you know, I ministered in Utah for 10 years. Like I, this is a big one. Okay. But James used the story of Rahab to prove that the, prove the point that your actions are the things you do as you, not that you do, but things you are as you live out a life of faith in Jesus are the things that prove and show your evidences and confirmation of what God has done in your life. That you've received the word of the power of God and go, boy, that's what I'm pursuing. That's what I'm after. That's who I am. And that's how I live my life. And we see this in, in Jesus all over the place in the New Testament, right? I mean, Jesus walked in his ministry and just with power and authority. Right? Healing people, raising people from the dead. I mean, he would, he would tell people, don't just take my word for it. Look at the things I've done. The evidences of who I am. And then we get to see the greatest evidence that he ever gave was the death and resurrection on the cross. If there wasn't even more to see of the power of who Jesus was, the fact that he was triumphant over death is a great power. A power that Rahab would have just fallen on her knees and say, how could this be? She thought defeating armies and crossing in the wildernesses was a big deal. Think about a resurrected Messiah. The power that was displayed at the cross was something that is undeniably a mark of God's good faith and confirmation of his promises to us. That death will never have the last say. That death will not have the sting. That death will not be the conqueror. But because of Jesus, that we can have life and have it eternally. That's a good word, isn't it? That's a good promise from our God is that we can have life over death. And that this is the only power that can save. Rahab saw that the Lord God was the only power that could save her, save her and her family, 
And she put her loyalty and faith in that. The same thing is going on with Jesus. That if you put your faith and your loyalty and your trust and say, I can't necessarily see it. I'm in a circumstance right now that is very difficult to follow you and it's, it's hard. But look at the power and the resurrection of the resurrection and, and the power that he had over death. And you kind of see it in a perspective that says, yeah, what I'm going through now is just more of a temporary thing. The big stuff has already been won over in Jesus. The power of our king, in fact, carries with it a ripple effect through history. This is one of my favorite things to kind of talk to people about it and, and, and just evaluate even my own life. The power of our king carries with it a ripple, a ripple effect through history. Because Rahab's choice to follow the Lord, not only did it save her and her family, but it redefined her. It redefined her as well. Rahab's decision to act on her faith carried with her through her family. In Joshua 2, 12-13, she says this, Now please swear to me by the Lord. Right? The fact, I, put my, I put my faith in him. She's talking to the spies. Just swear to me that this is going to be real. How many of you have been there with, the God, with God? Swear to me that you're going to be there. Because I'm trusting you. You can kind of see the urgency here a little bit. Swear to me by the Lord that you will also show kindness to my father's family. Because I show kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, sisters, and all who belong to them and save us from death. You can, you can sense the, the cry of the daughter here for her family. Please tell me your Lord is real and that this is going to be something my family can also experience. The decision we make to follow Jesus oftentimes will leave a ripple effect to our community and a lot of times to our family. I mean, I'm, the, I'm a product of, I don't know how many generations of believers, but there was at least a point where somebody in my line had to say yes. <laughs> that somebody in my line had to say yes to start a ripple effect that had a tradition of faith through it that led a lot of us kids to Christ at eight, nine, ten years old. We had to wrestle with our own faith, right? We still had to come to the knowledge of God and we still had to walk by faith, but it started so young in our families as far as how early we were exposed to the goodness and faithfulness of God. I mean, this is how country I am. I got saved at a rodeo. <laughs> getting ready to mutton bust. That was also a Billy Graham crusade. So. Says something about me, probably. So when Rahab put her faith in the Lord God of Israel the Lord flipped her script, right? She was a, a Canaanite woman working and living in a kind of a, a, a low, honorable society, or a place of shame in a very honor-shame type of society. So she was on the very bottom of the totem pole here. But look while Matthew mentions her. In Matthew 1, we see the genealogy of Jesus, where he lays it out as, as who, where Jesus came from. In Matthew 1, 5, he says, Salmon the father of Boaz... Big name, pretty popular name. You guys heard of Ruth? Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Not Rahab the prostitute, the mother of Rahab. Matthew was highlighting that she is a mother of the Messiah more than she was Rahab the prostitute. 
that when Matthew is, is, is giving this genealogy of Jesus, he's highlighting that Rahab isn't affiliated with the things of who she was, but now redefined as someone who carried the very sacred lineage of the Messiah to be. That's a pretty big ripple effect, isn't it? That this, this woman who was living in a wall in Jericho showed her faith and loyalty to the Lord, and the Lord said, I'm going to work through your line, and your line will have the line of kings and of the Messiah himself. That is what I would call a redefined ripple effect, wouldn't you? The things that you decide to say yes to to the Lord today, I tell you right now, there will be generations of people who will look back on that and say, thank you. Like a baton being carried is very similar to what it's like. Have you ever seen a relay race in the Olympics? I was, I was a track guy in college, so you're going to have a lot of track analogies. I'm, I'm sorry. But a baton is, is when one runner is running, they have a stick, and they, they lay it in the next baton, the next person, and they just go around the track. Right? Oh, this is a lot of what our Christian walks are like. We, we have people, a lot of us have people who gave us a baton and said, great, thanks for that, thanks for all that, and you carry it on to the next one. Right? And some of us are the first ones to have the baton. We're the first leg. We're like, wow, we've never, this is, I'm the first person to walk with Jesus in my life, on all of my family. Well, you get to be the one that carries and, and puts the baton in the next group. Right? We are just a part of a lineage of people of Israel that will continue on. That the faith and loyalty that you show to Jesus now and to the Lord God will be one that propels into the future. This is a perspective I think we really got to have. Because in our society, a lot of times we're so into kind of the now, the present, right? How is, what God are you going to do with me right now? When he's like, well, actually, wait till your grandkids. Wait till you see what they get to do. Wait to see what they get to be. I mean, sometimes we got to have that type of perspective. Because, I mean, I was, my mom was Swedish, Right? The first generation of Swedes, most of them died really young in the farms. But they were all praying people. And my mom can even remember them sitting and praying over the grandkids. Little did they know that, you know, two generations later, I think there's like five or six of us that are pastors now. I mean, they would have been like, oh, great. We all died at 30, but it was awesome to see that. So how is the Lord going to redefine you as your future? How do you view yourself now in the sense that how God is going to redefine you moving forward? Because I tell you, as Rahab sat urgency pleading with the Lord, he's there to hear you. He's there to hear your cries. He's here to hear the things that you are afraid of. The things you could bring him, the things of, of the brokenness of the past. Bring him your wounds and the, and the things that you're afraid to reveal. That's the hardest part about sometimes walking with, with people in community, and maybe you're with me on this, is it's easy to walk around with like a, a broken arm, right? We have Mason, I think James's son here has got a broken arm I just met today. Pretty obvious he's wounded, right? It's the emotional stuff that's hard to see. That's the stuff that we like to ugh, push real deep. Don't talk about it, Right? Those are the things that God really wants to get out. He really wants to bring those to the surface. Bring him your wounds. Bring him your trauma and your fears. Bring him those heavy things that are often too hard to carry. 
Because we do know very clearly is that Jesus said, come to me all you who are heavy laden, all you who carry heavy burdens, and what? I will give you rest. Do you trust the Lord enough with your burdens, with your heaviness, to receive his rest? Because if you're in this room, watching online, listening to this, your story is not over. As long as there are air in your lungs, your story is not over. He's ready to redefine you. So come to the Lord. Let him flip your script. He flipped mine. Go let's go have coffee. I'll tell you about how he flipped my, my script. And he's going to flip yours just like he did Rahab's, just like he did countless others through history. Because the power that he has displayed is real, authentic, and he wants to reveal it to you. I believe that. Let's pray, shall we? Father, I just want to give a minute for people to respond to this. Well, the things that we are defined as are powerful things and Sometimes it makes it difficult to receive your promises, to see your promises revealed. And so, Lord, we just pray for those who are struggling with seeing your promises, your your good faith and your confirmation seen in their life. Lord, I pray today is a day where they, for, for the first time perhaps, they say, I'm done being loyal and faithful to the kings of Jericho in this world the worldly kings, the kings, the things that oppose you, the things that we put before you, and that I trust you enough to put you first, to put my life into your hands, to, to put my family's lives into your hands. Or we need to be a community who put you first above everything else, to lay down all the things of the world, the power, the fears, the, all the stuff, Lord, that just gets in the way. And help us to be a people who really pursue you, who are loyal to you, faithful to you, who who trust you, who have seen your power displayed in our lives, who have seen it displayed at the resurrection where you conquered death, where you take the Rahabs of the world and you flip our scripts and you turn us into something that we never thought was possible, that you free us from addictions and, and traumas, that are beyond description. So Lord, we just give you this moment. We pray you work in our hearts and our minds. And Lord, help us to respond to this in action. Not with words, with hollow words, but with a life lived out because we are yours and you are ours. In Jesus' name, if you agree with that, say amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.